This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, February 27th, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca on Meet the Press on Sunday. Chuck Todd. All right. Not going to say Chuck Todd now because this is what's going through my head all today when I watch CNN or listen to NPR or watch MSNBC and they lead the hour and they talk about anything like Trump's executive order this or Secretary of the Navy that or DNC chair him. I just scream, no, wrong. You are talking about the wrong thing. You need to talk what we need to know. The Oscars. What a blow for all future musicals where the leads are so magnetic that we tell ourselves it's kind of adorable that the stars of a musical can't sing or dance. We will get to the Oscars. I promise you. We have a whole spiel for that. But before we get to Sunday evening, which was actually Monday morning on the East Coast, let's talk about Sunday morning when Chuck Todd announced who he would not be having on the show. Before we get started, in case you're wondering, as we always do, we ask the White House for any of a number of senior officials to join us this morning, especially cabinet secretaries. We also ask for them. Ultimately, instead of suggesting a senior administration official or a cabinet secretary, the White House offered a deputy press secretary. And so we declined. Good for you, Chuck. When the press hostile White House offers up only some second rate mouthpiece, what self-respecting newsman would debase himself by Let's get answers now from the White House. Sarah Huckabee Sanders joins us now. Sarah, thank you for joining us this morning. So you just Thanks saw for that. Being ad. Here. Good morning, George. So George Stephanopoulos on ABC's This Week asked Sarah Huckabee Sanders about a possible investigation into the role Russia played in the election of her boss. The question was. A prominent Republican, Daryl Issa, has said that Jeff Sessions, who worked in the campaign, should recuse himself from future investigation. Huckabee was asked for her thoughts. Here's what she said. Look, I think the real easy answer here is that the FBI has already said this story is BS. Those are their words. So I apologize to my mom. But literally, those are the words of the FBI that this story is BS. Wait, she's apologizing to her mom for saying the letters BS? The sensitive Janet Huckabee is offended by BS? Bologna sandwich? Bridal shower? Her daughter's name, Sarah Huckabee, cannot be spelled without a B and an S. You know what else can't be done without BS? Huckabee's answers, as George Stephanopoulos found out. So he clarified. The FBI has not gone on the record to call your investigation BS. My question is, should Sessions be involved? And Huckabee answered that. The bigger thing here is if Democrats want to continue to relive their loss every single day by doing investigation or review after review, that's fine by us. We know why we won this race. It's because we had the better candidate with the better message. They didn't campaign in the right places. They didn't have a good candidate. And if they want to continue to relive that loss every single day, then we welcome that. Stephanopoulos was forced to enter into the record what he assumed to be her answer. 
I'll take your answer to say you don't believe that the attorney general needs to recuse right now on the investigation. So you also saw Republican members George, of Congress. I don't think we're Hold there on, yet. Let me finish the question the right there. OK, so the question is, was this exercise, this back and forth game of ping pong, was this worth it? We learned nothing. Huckabee flat out avoided the actual question. That's why Chuck Todd passed. But I think that there is a value to this. As a journalist, I was frustrated. But as a citizen, a discerning citizen, her non-responsive answers were a form of response. To just demonstrate that she's so blatantly evading makes me say, my God, she's blatantly evading. And it begins to stoke my worries that there might be something to the Russian connection. I realize in this polarized world, we might not be changing too many minds on whether an investigation into Russia is worth it. But the job of journalism sometimes is just to make the case, to build the case. And as frustrating as this experience is, there are times when a lame non-answer does have an effect. So yeah, Huckabee punted but that doesn't mean the overall interview doesn't in some way move the ball. The spiel, oh, you know, you've been moonlit. But first, unlike the White House, rainbows have nothing to hide. I mean, why are there so many books about Kermit? And is Gonzo getting short shrift? Well, I don't know the answer to those questions, but we do look at the life of Jim Henson through a kid's book in a talk between author Brad Meltzer and me. La da 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 da. Author Brad Meltzer and me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You know Brad Meltzer? Well, he's been on this show a couple times. He writes pot boilers, or if you watch the History Channel, there he has Brad Meltzer's Decoded and Brad Meltzer's Lost History. But he also does this series of children's books, I Am. The titles include I Am Amelia Earhart, I Am Abraham Lincoln, Rosa Parks, Einstein, Jackie Robinson, uh, Helen Keller, George Washington, Jane Goodall. And the new one is I Am Jim Henson. You are Brad Meltzer. Thanks for coming by, Brad. Good to see you, my friend. So we meet Jim when he's about eight, and he has the beard. Why does he have the beard as a baby? <laughs> Listen, so, I mean, the funny part was is when we when we did I Am Abraham Lincoln, one of the first reviews ripped us apart because they said, it is historically inaccurate to say that Abraham Lincoln, as a little boy, had a beard. <laughs> and I was really like, do you really think that was meant for historical? I mean, obviously, what we do in each of the books. He basically didn't have a beard for most of his presidency or most of his life, yes. by the way. And yes. first of all, that's not a beard, what he has. It's not, I don't even know what it's called. Yeah. It's like a, but it's not a it's beard. Like a it's right. Thing. It is some yeah. cool Brooklyn thing. <laughs> and so the thing about it is, reality TV show stars and people who are famous for being famous, with each refresh, our kids are being fed garbage through their brain. And I'm tired of it, right? Like that was where the series came from. And I said, if I want to compete though with my kids looking at the screen, I have to give them something that's better. That's the only way. I can complain all I want, but I got to give them something that's better. And so I had Chris Eliopoulos, our amazing artist. He has a, an art style that's kind of like a mix between Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes. Mm -hmm. 
And that's why I picked them. And I said, I want you to draw them always as kids, these heroes. And Einstein's going to be born with a mustache. And Jackie Robinson's, we show him a little being born. And he comes out <laughs> wearing a little baseball hat. But it's because kids laugh and they get the joke. And suddenly, these heroes are like them. They're cute and they're adorable and they're fun. Now, are we infantilizing them? You know, maybe. But we're also making kids read these stories and to me that's worth a beard and also these characters are icons that's how they get in your series and an icon has to have consistency with you know that's one of the definitions of an icon is they have to be iconic that's right you want to dress up as steve jobs for halloween you got to be able to get the black turtleneck that's right is he going to be i mean does this does this lead to a new series of more contemporary jane goodall jane goodall was alive yeah Yeah. she was the first living one we did and and jim henson again i mean still he died in 1990 it's not like he's that he's not abraham lincoln era and to me, you know, the hard part is I don't like picking people who are alive because yeah. they can screw up at any moment. I yeah. mean, we did. Oh, you when could we, have had a Cosby. Not like Cosby. Forget Cosby. Um, when we did Heroes for My Son, which is a book I wrote a decade ago, if you look at the proof copy that went out to reviewers, I reviewed, you know, the, the proofs off of it. And just as it was going to press, it's in the book. You can find it in the preview copies. I said, you know what? Let's just pull this one here. I, I just got a bad feeling. And I had no information. I just had a bad feeling. And in the book was a guy named Lance Armstrong. Yeah. And I just was like, you know what? He's young and young people do dumb things. And I do dumb things. And let's just pull him out. And, you know, again, I had no information, no nothing. But I could have had a Cosby, could have had a that. And so my, my thing is, is like pick dead people or really old people because um, they're going to have far less affairs and screw-ups. Yes, the the heavily vetted uh, make for good children's heroes. I don't even know vetted, but just like, if, you know, the closer you pick to death, you, you're trying to shrink your odds, I guess, is what you're doing. <laughs> this is the, st- the stamp people, not in Canada. They're, they're always with the queen, yeah, England, yeah, yeah. but the stamp people do have this idea. Yeah, no, the stamp people know. They're like, you can't screw up the stamp, right? Yeah. And, I, and to me, I, you can't screw up the kids' heroes. You can't, you know, and I said, you know, the the goal of this series was always it's never just um you're famous i could give a crap about famous uh, i tell my kids all the time forget fame the question is, is what'd you do for someone else yeah what'd you do beyond your god-given skill i don't you know you're not a hero because you score a lot of points that's not a hero you're not a hero because you you know you even gave us kermit that makes you popular but it's the messages and the mora and the morality that is what makes these heroes and that's why the back of every book has a moral lesson it's not about like jim henson was famous and he made millions of dollars and isn't that great you want to be like that i don't give a crap about that we don't even show a muppet until halfway through the book what i care about is that two things one jim henson when he gets to his first job he wants to work in tv and he goes down to the tv station and they say we have no jobs and he's all dejected he's all devastated he leaves the job he leaves the place and he sees on the wall a sign and the sign says uh we're looking for puppeteers and he goes to the local library he takes out a book on puppetry he comes back to the exact same place he says i'm a puppeteer can have a job and i want my kids to know that when someone puts a roadblock in your way go around it and I love that Jim Henson, that's the lesson I want for them. And, and and more important than any of those is Jim Henson stands for the idea, like when I looked at this book, I knew, I went back because of nostalgia. Kermit the Frog and Sesame Street and Ernie and Bert are just our childhoods being yeah. like everything else that was from our childhood milked out and brought out and we try and see what we can get from it. But just because it was old doesn't mean it's good. And when I went back and actually studied his life, I, I wanted him for my, I wanted Jim Henson for my youngest who's creative and I want him to have a creative soul. He's eight. Yeah. And when I went back and looked at Jim Henson, I was like, oh, what I love about him isn't just that it's cute and it was from my childhood. It's that the lessons that he has in Sesame Street and the lessons in The Muppet Show are lessons of tolerance and kindness and gentleness and being good. Like I will never apologize for being a do-gooder. And I love that those messages 
are real. You know, It's Not Easy Being Green is one of the great songs of tolerance against racism and mm-hmm. skin color. It's sung by a friggin' green frog named Kermit. But that's the best part of him is that he used his time to put out messages of hope and goodness there. And man, do we need those today. And there was never, even though fun was had at Fozzie's expense, what a bad comedian he was, and Statler and Waldorf would poke fun, they were never really the butt of the joke. If anything, Statler and Waldorf were seen as more ridiculous characters. They were the joke, than right? Than the guys who were earnestly putting on a show. To put on a show and to try. So Kermit is such a representation, an avatar for Henson himself. Sure. This guy who really believed in the value of putting on a show and the value of coming together. It's one of those rare examples where the work that the person is known for is is almost a perfect stand-in for oh, the person. Oh, it's, it's the, the metaphor is not a metaphor. It's yeah. just a, it's one equal one. And when, when I was doing the book, I went to the, the Jim Henson's daughters actually helped us with the book and helped us proof it. And But I didn't want to give it to them early because otherwise you take their bias and you build it in. Mm-hmm. So I waited till I was done and then gave it to them. And the archivist for the Henson Foundation, I'll never forget, she said to me, you know, you cracked him. And I said, I don't know what you mean. She goes, what people don't understand about Jim Henson is they think he's the world's greatest puppeteer. But his superpower wasn't that he was a puppeteer. His power was, is he could find the best people and surround himself with the best people and let them do even better than they would do themselves. And I'm like, like Kermit, she's like, duh, exactly like Kermit. That's what (laughs) Kermit is, right? Like you're surrounded by people singing pigs and joke-telling bears and whatever Gonzo is and all these maniacs and, and monsters. But the only time it all works is when you sing together. And there's one guy at the center of the storm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. By the way, do you think if Kermit is Kermit to Jim Henson, is Scooter Kermit's Kermit? <laughs> right, is he his agent, <laughs> right? It does he look at it and say, you're me. Boy, that's meta, man. I can only imagine him doing that in the mirror. The refracted the mirror, cool, yeah. well, the, I got to ask, uh, yesterday, in fact, I got to ask uh, Jim Henson's daughter. They, they said, do five questions. We're doing an interview together. And the question I asked her is I said, you know, obviously everyone knows that Jim Henson is Kermit, but I said, are any of the other Muppets you guys mm-hmm. like is it your family in ways that we don't know you know because i always build my family any yeah. you know especially the characters that i despise i wind up throwing you know in the backgrounds of the <laughs> thrillers and you know crazy family members and she said and this kind of blew my mind she said you know i can't name a character and say like oh this one was scooter and this one was fozzy but she said when sesame street launched they were babies in their house they had a ton of kids and we were all little kids and so we we're Sesame Street. That's who he was writing to was us. And then when the Muppet Show launched, we were all teenagers and we had like birds and dogs and parakeets and like crazy chaos in our house. And I was like, and when you hear that, she's like, I'm like, oh, like the Muppet. she's like, yeah, it was the Muppet Show. It was us. Like, and I was like, oh, those things were just his household being seen on television in the form of these amazingly iconic Muppets. One thing that he did that you must relate to, since you're a guy who has a lot of brands, there's always that tension. You want to get it out there. You want as many people as you can to see it. You want to make money from it. But you also have to protect the brand. I can't think of anyone who did it better, who never kind of leased out the Muppets. There was this. There was a dabbling with Saturday Night Live, but that didn't really hurt the Muppet brand. Like, well, that was when he was starting, right? The Saturday yeah. Night Live, they rejected him. Yeah. They actually said that, you know, he was, yeah. although he the, got the his start. Line. Is I don't work with felt. That's, That's right. That was the best line. You read that same biography of SNL. That was a fantastic line. But but the, he was so good at protecting the brand, but also getting it into in front of eyeballs. Everywhere. Well, the thing was, listen, the Muppets' real start. They got their start as commercials, right? They were doing right. these coffee commercials. But the key thing was. Jim Henson was like, just let me do it my way and I'll make it funny. I'm going to let my Muppets be my Muppets. And when Sesame Street came to him, they were like, we want to teach 
a variety of kids in the inner city. We want to show them A's, B's, and one, two, threes. They came to this guy named Jim Henson, this you know, like kind of up and coming puppeteer who had this bits on the Tonight Show before the Tonight Show, and and they came to him and said, "Can you help us do something with that?" And his response was, "Can it be funny?" And he said, when they did the testing on it early is the kids didn't give a crap about the lessons of one, two, three, and ABC, but man, they loved those Muppets. Those things were funny and they were sitting there. And also it always had to work for parents and kids. So parents would want to watch it with their kids. And by the way, just to circle back to something you said, because I feel like it's important, that idea of Kermit not making fun at other people's expense um, was no accident. And this was something I didn't know about him even when I started the book. And I consider myself a pretty good Jim Henson nerd. It came from his grandfather. His grandfather was a really funny guy, but his one kind of internal rule was, is you don't make fun of other people. The joke can come, but it shouldn't come at the expense of someone. And as I stopped and again, rolled that through my head, I was like, oh, that's the that's the Muppets. Like even Statler and Waldorf, the joke's on them, Yeah, right? We know they're like the two old guys who are the schmucks in the audience. We laugh, but we never think they're like, you know, really, really hurting anybody. Even when Fuzzy's like, oh man, my joke sucks. It's like, we're all on Fuzzy's side. We're never ganging up. So I have one last question. It's a technical question. With the historical figures, there are the things about them, whatever you can depict that are associated with them are that's in the public domain. Maybe there's a different answer with Jackie Robinson's Dodger uniform, but could you do this without the permission? You are depicting Muppets. Um, does anyone own their likeness, even if you are telling their story? What's the what legalism? What do you think? The First Amendment protects the idea of telling true stories about famous people. Because you know what we call that? History. And we don't want you to own your history. You can't control whether you're the president of the United States or a famous athlete. You cannot control how people tell your story because we want history to be free. The interesting part is, so I can tell any story I want about Jim Henson. I can tell any story I want about Martin Luther King Jr. And I can tell any story I want about Jackie Robinson. However, when you start using trademark and and copywritten characters, You can't tell that story. So I could not tell I am Martin Luther King Jr. I could not. And I I, I have, you know, we were not allowed to use the I have a dream speech until we got the rights from the King of State. Now, the King of State liked what we were doing and gave us the rights, but they control that speech. I recently interviewed uh, Abraham Zapruder's granddaughter. Oh, yeah. talked about that. Yeah, I saw she was making the rounds. Yeah, Yeah. and it's a, it's, it's fraught because history owns it, but also they own it and they have to protect it. Uh, And, and, and to me... I actually take issue with that. I, I don't see how you copyright a speech like I Have a Dream. Oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, you saw the movie Selma and that movie, and I met the director and, and I was saying that I don't know how you pulled that off. And they had to rewrite all of King's words because they said, I'm like, that's the historical part of Martin Luther King is that, you know, this isn't like a book that he published. This is a speech he gave to, you know, 100,000 people on the mall. And you're telling me we can't say what he said. That seems like you're kind of controlling history. So with the Muppets, it was the most complex book we did. And I will say I was terrified. We had to get the Henson family for the early Muppets to say yes. We had to get the children's television workshop for Ernie and Bert. And then if you want the actual Muppets, they're owned by Disney. Right. Now, the amazing part was, is all three of them, they read the book and they were like, we love the book. But until we got that okay, I was like, how are we telling Jim Henson's story without Kermit? But again, to everyone's credit, they realized this is trying to tell real history. Um, and, so you, and but don't. you had the family as allies. That must have helped with the 100%. big corporations. Yeah, I'm sure. They want listen, to keep good faith. Of with, course. Yeah. And everyone, and, and this, listen, 
this is not a, uh, a a hatchet piece on Jim Henson, right? We're writing a, I am Jim Henson is a beautiful, lovely testament to the man and is only going to probably help them sell a couple more Muppets. Beneath the lily pad. Right, right, right. Sesame Babylon. And so, not the first title I like. Illustrated by Christopher Eliopoulos, Brad Meltzer is the author of the latest in the I Am series. It's I Am Jim Henson. Thanks for coming by again, Brad. Always good to see you, brother. All right. And now the spiel. We had a deal, Oscars. We had a deal, all awards show. You subject us to the most boring aspects of your shows. Ballots are sent out to 6,000 members of the Academy. And then they are tabulated by Price Waterhouse. The accountants. You serve us up your three minutes of, I guess, federally mandated, here are serious and totally competent, but unbelievably boring accountants. Welcome back. Now, we are very grateful that tonight's show is supported by the global accounting firm of Grant Thornton. Now, as part of their deal with the Tonys, I am told that they have to have 15 seconds where they can clearly be seen on screen. So please welcome the accountants, Kim O'Connor and Greg Westfall. And then we get to hear the winners... And those winners are actually the right winners. Now, I want to tell you, I've become an expert in the envelope delivery system of award shows in the last 24 hours. Here's how they do it at the Oscars. Two sets of identical envelopes, each in a satchel. There's one on each side of the stage. Presenter goes onto stage, is handed the correct envelope, and another identical envelope still exists on the other side of the stage. Now, on the one hand, you could argue this is two-source confirmation. This is a belts and suspenders kind of situation. But on the other hand, once the actual envelope is in circulation, do you really want another envelope out there? Let's take a cue from an Academy Award-winning movie. There is supposed to be one true ring. What if there happened to be another ring? Oh, yeah, that ring, that also works. Don't worry, Frodo. We got the backup ring. Star Wars. There is a single small port that one shot can penetrate. And if that doesn't work, well, there's another port. We also found another port. The Oscars have divided fans of the old Hollywood of La La Land and the sensitive lyrical realism of Moonlight. But in that moment, the viewing public was also divided into the I can't take it, I'm cringing so much versus the this is the greatest thing on live TV since Clint yelled at that chair. Within the last year, we had improbable finishes in the World Series, in the NBA Finals, in the English Premier League, in the Super Bowl, in the election, and now this. Let's look at the odds. Donald Trump had about a 20 to 35% chance to win the election, according to 538 in the New York Times prediction models. The Cubs, down three games to one in the World Series, had about a one in eight chance. They won. The Cavaliers were 40 to one in one sports book, but they won the title. The Atlanta Falcons were even higher than that. They had a 99, over 99% chance to win the Super Bowl during the game, but the Patriots won. And Moonlight was about six to one in the betting markets going into last night. So maybe you're saying, okay, so that's not as huge an upset as some of these other ones, but calculated from the moment where they were on stage holding their statuettes. Yeah, I would say this is the most shocking upset ever. Bigger than the Super Bowl, bigger than Brexit. It was a shocking la-la exit. And if the Cubs hadn't won in 108 years, which seems huge and impressive, the best picture had never gone to a movie with an all-black cast, a black writer, a black director, telling the story of repressed sexuality in the Miami projects. Well, at least not since Gigi. 
I didn't love Moonlight. I mean, I thought that all 11 lines of dialogue were really good, don't get me wrong, but not enough happened for me in the movie. And then this happened. I would gladly trade my slightly bored two hours of movie going for the glorious 24, approaching 24 hours of all enveloping insanity. Well, not all enveloping, just the best actress and the best picture enveloping, but it's still crazy. Now on every award show, when they introduce the accountants, the crowd's going to break into chants of, you lie, tell the truth. The failing financial accounting standards board, fake FSB. This will do to PricewaterhouseCoopers what Enron did to Arthur Anderson. But Moonlight wasn't the only winner. So was the war against cliched acceptance speeches. So you had the first one from La La Land producer Jordan Horowitz. That guy winds up being a mensch. But did you hear the next speech one of the producers gave? It was as if it was auto-generated from Oscar cliches. All right, let's play a game. Spot the fake line in his acceptance speech. As it was going on, it didn't hit my ears as the worst thing ever because you're saying, well, the guy did win an Oscar. But once you strip away the fact that he didn't actually win an Oscar, it is a terrible speech. All right, we got to do it through a game. I will read the entire speech verbatim, but I will add a fake line or two, just a couple fake phrases. See if you can tell the fake phrases from what he really said. Here was the uh, second producer to give a speech. Here's to the fools who made me dream. My Uncle Gary, my mentor Sam Cohen, my parents, my children Connor and Isabel, my wife Julie, on whose shoulders I've stood for 40 years because she insisted I reach for the stars. And to the Hollywood community that I'm so proud to be a part of. And to the Hollywood in the hearts and minds of people everywhere. Repression is the enemy of civilization. Hope is truth. So keep dreaming. Because the dreams we dream today will provide the love, the compassion, and the humanity that will narrate the stories of our lives tomorrow. Fred. Yeah, that's actually how it ends. Fred. All right. So I made up six words in that. Two three-word phrases. You can go back and listen. Here's what I made up. One, Connor and Isabel. He did not name his children. I do not think he named his children that. And he did not say what their names were in the speech. And also... Hope is truth. Everything else was in the actual speech. Fred, absolutely accurate. He throws to Fred and Fred stumbles through his acceptance speech. And then he winds up saying, Damien Chazelle, we're standing on your shoulders. We lost, by the way, but you know. And that's how we learned. That's how we learned Moonlight won. Yeah, it happens. Even though it never does, it never has. It was just an aside. For a second there, you know what I thought was going on? I thought there might be a rule that the second time in an acceptance speech, when anyone mentions standing on someone else's shoulders, you have your Oscar revoked. That wouldn't be a bad rule. But from standing on shoulders to the shrug of, yeah, oh, by the way, we lost, history was made. And you know, I know somewhere today out there, there is a little boy or girl, but probably a boy, probably a balding Jewish boy, who is dreaming of one day being up there on stage and having his Oscar yanked away from him. And having everyone say, he handled that humiliation pretty well. And that's why I can say, they don't call this town the dream factory for nothing. That's it for today's show. Mary Wilson is the gist producer who lets her Muppets be her Muppets. I'm going to let my Muppets be my Muppets. Chris Berube, just producer, was offered the title executive producer for Slate Podcasts. He declined. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He insists that Chris Berube, that thing, that is not true. 
And the only person who was offered the job of executive producer of Slate Podcasts was Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network, which is to say he is Kermit to my Fozzie. The gist. No, wait, wait. This is not a joke. This was meant to be Trumpcast. You meant to click Trumpcast. Our bad, Fred. Oomperoo, depperoo, dooperoo, and thanks for listening. <laughs>